You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 this morning, good to see you. And uh, we are entering, uh, probably for a lot of us, our favorite time of the year. Uh, In fact, I would say I enjoy right now as much as everything that we're about to experience. I just love the anticipation of it. And I can sense that in the room today and uh, grateful that God gives us uh, these things to anticipate together. John chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 16 down through verse 18. Just a couple things of note before we look at those verses. Uh, Number one, good to have Ricky and Michelle with us, and I was able to marry them, and they're still married. So, hey, I'm not, I don't know if I can say I'm batting a thousand, but uh, at least they still, despite the officiating clergy, they're still together. So praise the Lord for that. Excited to see what God's doing in their life. They just got back from South Korea, did a survey trip there, and so excited to see what God's going to do through them. Secondly, just by way of warning, a week from tomorrow, we will be demoing all of the ceiling that you see, so all of the grid and lights, and so we'll be doing that uh, a week from tomorrow, so if you have some free time, Monday to Wednesday, which is really the first couple of days of December there, we'll be working on that Monday through Wednesday of that week, so a week from tomorrow. Uh, And then thirdly, I want to encourage you back tonight for our praise and pie service, we'll meet in here uh, for, um, there's no preaching, so that alone should draw you. You're not stuck listening to me. Uh, Eric raises his hand, amen. That's the first amen I've ever gotten out of him. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, brother. I love you too. Uh, and uh, and uh, so tonight we'll have lots of worship together. We'll be singing together. And then if you'll notice in your bulletin on the inside, it would be last inside page on the left. Praise and, pri- uh, praise and Pie Prep, there is two segments of testimony tonight. So either God is great, that would have more to do with some aspect of his character that you'd like to testify of this evening. So we invite you to come, maybe fill that out in preparation. Uh, and then God is good. So those two areas, and that would be more maybe a felt need, something he's done in your life uh, over these last 12 months or even more recently than maybe the last 12 months. But I wanted to give you that opportunity to prepare and to come tonight with a testimony to share, and as well, a pie to share. And uh, we put praise first, even though the pie is just as important, at least in some of our views, but looking forward to that this evening at 5.30. John 19, let's look, if you will, at verse 16. Pastor Dave preached last week on the setup to this text as we now approach the cross and all that our Savior did for us. Verse 16 says, Then delivered he, this would be Pilate, him, Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. That's the malefactors are there and the soldiers and all that goes with this. And they took Jesus and led him away. Verse 17, And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one Uh, and Jesus in the midst. And then if you will, go down to verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Then notice this in verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, then notice this phrase, and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Behold thy Son. And so we've been looking at getting even closer to Christ and through the lens of the Gospel of John, how to be in closer intimacy and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating to me in the book of, of John, we find that only one disciple stayed with him all the way to the cross. And that is the author of the Gospel we're looking at, uh, the uh, author which is John. And so we'll look at today this aspect of Jesus and drawing closer to him, Christ as the sacrificial lamb. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be back home today. Thank you for what you're doing in uh, this church and out of this church in different capacities. Thank you for the part that each of us play in that. Thank you, Lord, for the guests that are here and our regulars and our members. And Lord, this journey you have us on that's allowed us all to intersect this morning as we prepare our hearts and minds for this week of gratitude to you. 
a God who is always faithful, and a God who someday we will walk beside you, as we just sang, um, Lord, and we will say thank you to you forever. And uh, Lord, may today be the beginning of that, may today be the continuation of that. We pray if there's one in our midst today that does not know you as Savior, that doesn't have the source of gratitude that comes only from being saved and knowing it, that, Lord, you would convict of sin, you would draw them to yourself today. Sanctify this service with your presence. Move and work in each heart, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, one of the things I'm fascinated by are sacrifices that we make. And there are a lot of different places we see sacrifices being made. Um, I don't know if you ladies have gotten tired of college football or not yet, but uh, we are at least winding down, and there'll be another sport right, right after that. So you ladies have come to terms with this. Here was a catch made just the other day. I don't know if the Buckeyes made you nervous yesterday or not, but this is a picture from last week's game. Did you see this? Uh, and I love the referee there. You know, he's watching it closely, but you have uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., who caught a ball uh, on the sideline and got his foot. Can you see his right foot there in bounds? To me, that looks like the end of that was he blew his knee out. I mean, there's just, or pulled a hamstring or groin or something. That's just what comes to my mind. But the sacrifices made in that setting, as well as in so many others, that we kind of just, we, we take for granted. We don't appreciate all that goes into that moment in training and preparation and the same is true not just in the sports realm, but also in the spiritual realm as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's a key point this morning. Our gratitude, listen to me very carefully, ought to be fueled by not only what we have gained from Jesus Christ, listen to me, but from what he gave up. I think often our view of Jesus and of salvation is very superficial, starting with me where I'm focused on more felt needs and being the recipient instead of what it's cost God, what it costs specifically God the Son to secure for me the things that I just every day enter into and live in and breathe in that cost Him very dearly. And so our gratitude this morning, maybe you don't have everything you wish you had, and there's some things that you have you wish you didn't, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. We have no excuse not to be grateful this morning, to be grateful this Monday and this Tuesday and this Wednesday and this Thursday and every day because of what God gave up for us. And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ fuels our gratitude. And if you go back to verse 14 quickly, just to set up the text, this would have been covered last week. But in verse, 15, uh, verse 14, it says, kind of setting up the crucifixion, and it was the preparation of the, what's the next word? Passover. And so Jesus Christ is the Paschal Lamb. He's the Passover Lamb that's about to be presented, the final sacrifice that covers uh, permanently our sins. And so Jesus here is presented in the text as the sacrificial Lamb. And so the question today is this, in a day where people are trying to either project how tough they have it, and as well believers often in that vein of thought, or being meritoriously sacrificial themselves, how do we instead rest in the sacrifice? How do we rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf? Let's talk about today two sacrificial commitments that we see evidenced in the second half of our chapter we're looking at today. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the Lamb who was crucified for us. The Lamb who was crucified for us. Um, I was reading in a forum the other day, they were asking um, those who lead in the Muslim community, we have one of uh, a partner we have in ministry who's starting a church in Dearborn, reaching uh, Muslims here even in the United States. And they were asking Muslims, they said, Do, is a Muslim able to celebrate Thanksgiving? And so there was a little bit of discussion from uh, some of the imams, the spiritual leaders of, of their community. And here was kind of the summary of their assessment. Thanksgiving, according to them, these are their own words, as a day reserved for giving thanks is foreign to Islam, which was interesting. They don't have an equivalent, not just on uh, the Thursday that we celebrated. It's not a part of their, um, their religion. They did say it is permissible. The word is mubah, uh, if it is free of any impermissible elements. And then this was kind of 
funny to me in a way as I read this. These are things that we have to be careful as Muslims. They were saying not to be like uh, those of other religions. They said uh, particular practices originating to other religions, such as consuming impermissible food. So they were listing things that if a Muslim does enter an observance of Thanksgiving, they don't wander into this. And then this was one they listed. So not allowed to eat things that are impermissible. And then this, here's what they said. And, and also fighting among relatives and the like. It was like to them, Thanksgiving involved. And does that resonate with any of you, either at Thanksgiving or Christmas? At least there's that passive aggressiveness that's there. Um, Islam is an honor religion, right? Um, we know that. It's about defending honor and protecting honor, and that, that's a key value of their uh, faith system. In fact, they believe it's their duty to defend the honor of Muhammad. One author said this, in contrast, Christianity profoundly is not an honor religion. Jesus' own words forbid it. In fact, Jesus embraced dishonor to free us from our sin. And so the sacrifice of our Savior, not asking for honor, but laying down his life for us, we must revisit his crucifixion regularly to stay close to our Savior and Lord. So let's talk about a couple things there in your bulletin as our outline today that help us draw closer to Jesus as we consider uh, the fact that he as the lamb was crucified for us. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus fulfilling crucifixion. The first thing we have to recognize is that when Jesus died, it was not a random circumstantial event. It was the fulfilling of carefully orchestrated prophecy uh, that would lead to our redemption. Go back to verse 17. You will notice this, that it says, He bears his cross, they crucify him between two thieves. And yet in verse 19, notice the moniker or the label ascribed to him above his cross is the king of the Jews. And so Jesus, first of all, he fulfilled that which is royal fulfillment. He is king. They tried to shame him. They tried to associate him with some other malefactors and thieves, and, and yet he shines through on this cross as king. And so royal fulfillment. Uh, in fact, in verse 19, you will notice that Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. So it was this king ascribing royalty and kingship to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you understand this or not, if you've read on this, but on a cross in this setting and in this culture, they would always write above the criminal what uh, crime caused them to be crucified. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ, there's no crime they could put above him, could they? His only crime, quote-unquote, was he claimed to be uh, the king of the Jews, the Messiah. And so we see this royalty uh, that is associated with our Savior as crucified Savior. Uh, verse 21, notice the chief priests reject that or resent that. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate said he just is king of the Jews. They wanted him to say, he claimed to be, falsely so, would be the inference there. And so we see that despite Pilate's vacillation on other things, he refuses. Look at verse 22, what I have written, I have written. And so this royalty that is associated with our Savior. It's interesting also that you notice there in verse uh, number 20 that it says it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. This title speaks of not only the universal sin of mankind, but also the universal love that God had for the world. The known languages of the day, they could read Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Um, this past Tuesday on November 14th, according to um, several organizations that keep track of the world population, listen, for the first time, the world population on Tuesday of this last week ticked north of eight billion people. And here's what I want to say to you today as it relates to that. Our God sent his son as a sacrifice that is therefore because of that sacrifice offering the grace and the love of God to every one of those 8 billion people. Isn't that amazing? The sacrifice, this large, this gracious, this generous sacrifice only given to us by Jesus Christ. And so it is a royal fulfillment on the part of our Savior. 
While the crucifixion was intended by man to be painfully shameful as Jesus hung naked between heaven and earth, Jesus as king repurposes it as a glorious, unmistakable symbol of his royal intentions to the whole world. That's why we have one on our stage today. It is a symbol of God's grace and mercy, one that should evoke in our hearts great gratitude. John 12, verse 32, And if I, Christ said, be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. We just have to lift up him. He who has been crucified, he will draw all men to himself. All right, go down if you would to verse 28. We'll come back to the verses we just skipped over in a moment. But look at a second area of fulfillment that Jesus is very careful to do sacrificially for our benefit and for our redemption. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scriptures, notice, might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Number two, not only is there royal fulfillment, there is comprehensive fulfillment. Comprehensive fulfillment. Jesus fulfills every prophecy that is associated with the Messiah. He is thorough. He is comprehensive in his fulfillment. Um, you ever notice that some people just enjoy complaining and griping? These people drive me crazy, okay? I know sometimes I'm too perky and positive, and that drives those of you that are a bit more pessimistic crazy as well. The other day someone said this, for some people, complaining is a hobby. And if you actually fix their problem, they'll be mad at you because that just took their hobby away. They have, what else do I, what do I have to talk about now? Can I just tell you, God has taken away completely our excuses to gripe and complain this morning. He has fulfilled everything required to meet every need and even every desire that's inside of our hearts today. There is a comprehensiveness to this sacrifice, to this cross of this lamb. And so verse 28, we see after this, and I, I think between verse 27 and 28 would be that three-hour period of darkness uh, from noon to 3 p.m., and it was during this time that Christ was forsaken by God, and he paid the penalty completely of our sin, and now he says, I thirst, indicating obviously the intensity of the crucifixion and, and, and the, 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 uh, the suffering and the struggle that went with this moment. And yet this thirst that he had that drove him not just to thirst physically, but to thirst and to long and to do what was necessary to provide for us salvation as he fulfills every difficult nuance of God's word. Uh, verse 29, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar. I love this next part that gives us so much here. And put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And so we see this sour wine or drink that is given to Jesus. And likely they probably tied it on a sponge with hyssop and extended it up to him on the cross. And, and he partook of that in this moment, fulfilling prophecy. Um, we see earlier in Matthew 27 that he refused the vinegar mixed with gall that would have had some strong alcoholic content that would have numbed the pain. He refused that to be fully conscious as our sacrificial lamb. But here he partakes to again connect himself to Scripture. You're in John. Just for a moment, would you humor me? Go back to Exodus. I wish we had time to look at this at length, but Exodus 12. How's this connect to the Paschal Lamb, to the sacrificial lamb? Exodus 12. And look, if you will, quickly at verse number 22. So this would be institution of the Passover, um, which would have been um, prior to the Israelites leaving Egypt and Remember, the death angel passes over, and the Israelites who obey God's instructions, their firstborns are redeemed, they're saved, they're delivered, while the Egyptian firstborns are killed. Exodus chapter 12, look if you will, verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of what? What's the next word? Hyssop. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel on the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. The same exact plant, the same exact word is used here. The Hebrew and Greek words are equivalent. Hyssop is used. Isn't that interesting? The details of God presenting the Lamb of God, which takes away 
the sin of the world. And so this comprehensive fulfillment of Jesus as the Passover lamb. Uh, Verse 30 back in our text, you notice it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so we see Jesus here paying it all, finishing what needed to be paid. It was paid in full. In fact, there are still papyri copies that have survived from this time period that would have teletestai, it is paid in full. You can see that on a receipt given in this time and in this culture. And Jesus here, when he says, it is finished, he doesn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. It is paid in full. He completely fulfilled the requirements created by our sin. And so we see him bow his head and dismiss his spirit. Typically, someone on the cross, when they would die, here would be their sequence. They would, their spirit would leave, and then they would bow their head, right? The sequence is, all, is opposite, indicating Jesus' choosing. He bows his head, then his spirit leaves. And so here we see him giving up his life. It was a voluntary, voluntary sacrifice, one that we should be grateful for um, this morning. Um, are you familiar with the term called a crucifix? Do you know what I mean by that? A crucifix versus a cross. Um, a crucifix would be of, of different religious orientation. Some of the mainline denominations would use these, where you see not only a cross, but you see a, a representation of Jesus still hanging on that cross, right? Um, I think it's good to revisit the cross and remember what Jesus has done for us, but maybe be very careful to remember that Jesus himself chose to leave that cross. He chose to be the sacrifice, to do what was necessary, but he wasn't a victim. He's not still a victim this morning. He is the victor. Um, In fact, one one commentator, I've heard him say repeatedly this, if Jesus had not chosen to die in that moment, he'd still be hanging on that cross this morning. He he was in control. He He was well within his own understanding. He knew what he was doing, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. So may I say today, the cross was not a random demise of a victim, but the carefully choreographed sacrifice of God himself for your redemption. Here's the question, where are you trying to be near Jesus without staying near his fulfilling all the promises, cross, that he hung upon for you? So we want to be near Jesus, but do we want to be near his cross? Are we willing to have gratitude and associate ourselves with that which others try to cast shame upon? Draw even closer to Jesus' fulfilling crucifixion. All right, go back to verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parteth my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. Those things, therefore, the soldiers did. Number two, draw even closer to Jesus' considerate crucifixion. So it was a fulfilling crucifixion. Number two, it was a considerate crucifixion. Um, As most of you know, Heidi and I were out of town last weekend, uh, preaching at a friend of mine's church in Toledo. Uh, and uh, he preached for our anniversary a few years ago, and uh, just a great church. It's good, definitely good to be home. I, I really enjoy just being back where God has us, but we, we had a great weekend, fruitful weekend, ministered to folks, and we had a gentleman get saved in the morning service, which was awesome. His name is Zach, and um, just appreciate so much the church's support in that aspect of our outreach as a ministry, um, but we did have a bit of a struggle in our hotel room, okay, and I'll try not to throw my wife under the bus because she'll back over me later, okay, in some way. But uh, we, so first night we get there rather late on Friday. We had some sessions early in the morning on Saturday, and we had a noisy neighbor. You ever had that in a hotel? Might have been they were noisy, might have been the walls were paper thin, it might have been both. That's what it felt like, okay? And they had kids, and it, it sounded like, I'm not kidding you, by about 8.30 in the evening, they were wrestling all night. That's what it sounded like. And just pitter-patter, and, and then bam, you know, and then you're like, what happened? And then it happened again. And so we tried to, we've learned, we just don't say anything. So we just both tried to lay there, just check out, not think about it. About 1.30, we had had it because we had an early morning. We got to get some rest, you know, and 
Um, and so we called the front desk and told them. They went up and talked to these people. It just kept going. So about 2, 2.30, I call, hey, could we have another room at least to sleep in that's about as far from this room as possible, you know? Um, so they moved us down the hall a bit. So we went from 317 to 323 is where we end up then sleeping, leaving all of our stuff in 317. Uh, got up, a little blurry-eyed, went through our thing, got back. We're like, we're going to catch up this afternoon, get a little bit of sleep before this evening. They're still at it, and we can't, can't sleep during the afternoon. So I'm like, that's it, we're moving. So we moved to the room we slept in the previous night. So it was like 317, 323. We kind of occupied both rooms the whole weekend. But what was hilarious was the, the night, the first night before we moved, Heidi, about 2 o'clock, she's like, we need to do something. She wanted to like bang on the ceiling or, you know, kick it or throw something. I'm like, Heidi, come on, you know. And here, uh, as far as we know, it wasn't even the people above us. It might have been the people beside us. So we don't know what happened. But they weren't being considerate. Have you ever been there? Isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ, with all that he has going here, he thinks of others. I know when I am in an intense season of pain, I tend to become very self-absorbed, don't you? It's about what hurts and where it hurts and how long it's hurt and why me, why now? And yet Jesus on the cross thought of you and thought of me. We were on his heart. We were on his mind. May that stir in us a greater level of gratitude as we anticipate this week with him together. Notice two things about this consideration. First of all, contrasting consideration. I love that that John includes the inconsiderate soldiers to help us appreciate and contrast the consideration of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? In the same exact geographical zip code, right there by the foot of the cross, you have the inconsiderate soldiers in contrast to the consideration and graciousness of our Savior. And so we see the harshness of these men who were just going through the routine of crucifying yet another uh, false leaders, another criminal, and their indifference to the suffering that was going on uh, just above them. In fact, you see they went through the personal effects, which was pretty typical that the soldiers, that's the one perk they had after they crucified the guy or gal, they would get whatever was left that was owned by that person that was left there. Uh, And so they began to divvy up these different pieces of clothing. Five are listed here, four um, that could be kind of just split into several different pieces and given to the soldiers. Uh, And then in verse, the end of verse 23, you notice that it There's a coat without a seam woven from the top throughout. And so to save it and not to ruin it, instead of dividing it, they cast lots for one of them to be the winning lot to get um, this outer garment. Isn't it interesting that these men with their indifference do not realize that they're fulfilling prophecy? Psalm 22 and verse number 18, written 1,000 years before this moment, they and their indifference don't even realize that they're fulfilling prophecy as they cast lots for his vesture. Um, and so this inconsideration of the world around Jesus as he sacrificed himself for us, still in that moment, was a part of God's plan and purpose. Um, I don't know if you've had in your family where someone passes away and there are there's an inheritance to divide. Someone said kind of tongue-in-cheek, you don't know a person until you try to divvy up an inheritance with someone else. You know where I'm going with that, right? And if you nod your heads, unfortunately, maybe you've experienced that. But these guys are just divvying up what's left, indifferent to what's being done and how it's fulfilling God's word. May we not be found amongst that group. One of the ways to more fully treasure the cross of Jesus is to contrast it with the cruel indifference of the world around us. Aren't you amazed by the indifference of the world typically to suffering and needs? They'll take what's left over. They'll ignore whatever they can get away ignoring. That is not our Savior. And so we see the contrast of the consideration he gives to us. Now let's talk about specifically what he does in this moment that's unbelievable as we consider what he's suffering. Verse 25, there stood by the cross of Jesus these four women that are listed. Specifically, notice his mother is there. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. 
Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Number two, a tender consideration. So it's a contrasting consideration. Number two, it is a tender consideration that Jesus has for not just Mary and for John, but also for us this morning. Seeing her sorrow, Jesus honors his mother by consigning her, by giving her into the care of John. John assumes that responsibility, the tenderness to be considerate of his own mother. Now, two words stick out to me in verse number 26 where it says, and the disciple. So he sees his mother and the disciple standing by. I want you to think about what Mary and John benefited from because they stayed close to Jesus at the cross. Number one, Mary receives care, right? Jesus' brethren, they're in Galilee. They're at a distance. And so she receives care because she stays close to Jesus. John receives a commission. He receives an assignment because he stayed close to Jesus in this moment of great difficulty and suffering. And so may we keep close to him and stay close to him and allow him to give to us care and and purpose and mission as we stay intimate with our Savior. And so this consideration, Hebrews 12, 2 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's that joy? What's the joy that Jesus had set before him? I think it was doing the will of the Father, yes, but it also was he knew us. He knew that one day we would share in the benefits and blessings of what the cross secured for us. And so this gift of salvation that is ours is through the cross of Jesus who thoughtfully and considerately sacrificed himself that we might have relationship with him and the Father. Now, if you go back to verse number 17, it says that this place is called the place of the skull. And then we see it is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, which is actually Aramaic. Here's a picture. I was just there in January. This is as close as I could get um, to Golgotha. And I'll point out kind of the topography here. Obviously, we don't know for sure where the tomb is. We don't know for sure where Golgotha is. But from everything I've studied, I would, I would lean toward this is the location. So where I'm standing, if you can visualize it, uh, like if I'm looking at this, to my left would be the garden tomb. There's a little garden between. It's about a three-minute walk between the garden tomb and Golgotha. And then if you look, you see it's kind of a barren uh, the top of a skull, there's some tree you know, growth on it now. But then can you kind of see the two eyes there? If you look to the left just a little bit, there's kind of a little bit of an indentation and then the other and then a little bit of a nose, ridge of the nose there. It's not the best angle. They, had, they were actually building a new plaza around it. So this is as close as I could get when I was there in January. But Golgotha, um, this place uh, where you know, we tend to, I don't know how you view it, but we, <laughs> I hate to ruin the song, but on a hill called Mount Calvary, um, we, a lot of times, because of that hymn and others, we picture the cross kind of up against the backdrop of the sky. It's very likely he was actually crucified along the roadside. There's a public road that runs at the base of this cliff because you have people wagging their tongues, talking to him. He hears them. He prays for them. They put them in a public place. Hey, don't do this crime and don't do this crime because if you do, here's what's going to happen to you. It was accessible. It was visible. They could gnash on him. They could spit at him. There was a proximity. And so likely it wasn't on the top of this this outcropping. It was actually at the base of it with the Golgotha backdrop behind it as people would walk across that road. But I just want you to look at that for a moment and then consider our mindset. Um, As one author said this recently, he said, it pleased him to crush his only begotten son, speaking of God for us. So God was pleased to sacrifice his son And then here's our response to that God. Yeah, but what else do you got? Do we really need something else besides the fact that God sent his son to die for us? What else do you got, God? We want want him to throw in something else when we have access to the thing we most desperately need and the thing that costs God most deeply May we revisit it over and over and over, this lamb who was crucified for us. In fact, I love the last refrain of the hymn, my faith has found a resting place. The chorus, the end says this, it is enough. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Is that enough for you today? 
Because I'm telling you, if it's not, there's nothing else that's going to satisfy you more and thrill you more and sustain you more than the fact that Jesus died and that he died for us. All right, go back to the text now. Let's talk about a second area. This would be the lamb who was buried for us. So he was crucified for us. Number two, he was buried for us. If you will, go down to verse 31. The Jews, therefore, so he gives up the ghost as we read in verse 30. He wasn't a victim. He chose to lay down his life. No man takes it from him. The Jews, therefore, verse 31, back in John 19, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Number two, lamb who was buried. I was reading recently, um, an article was talking about George Patton, General George Patton, who was one of the most quirky, ego-driven generals in United States history. Um, I, he, he was used in World War II in many ways, but he, he was definitely all about his flashy revolvers, and he just had some really quirky things. But uh, when uh, Patton died, he was buried in Luxembourg, uh, Germany. Uh, there's a, an American graveyard there where several servicemen and women have been buried, uh, after World War II. And when he was buried at the time, he was very popular. He was very well known. And so that was like the prime graveside to go visit. And so people would come and their foot traffic would just not allow the grass to grow around his graveside as well, or grave uh, plot as well as those around him. And so eventually they exhumed his body a few years after burying it and moved it to another location. And if you were to go there today, you would find George Patton, General Patton's gravesite is kind of at, it's off to the side, it's kind of out in front as you first come into that cemetery. And the idea is both to kind of get him out of the, where it was wearing down um, the gravesite of other uh, servicemen and women, but it almost symbolizes he's leading still. And when you walk in, there's Patton, and then behind him are all those rows of crosses. Can I just tell you that Jesus Christ has led He's led us into death. He has led us to what is beyond the grave, but he is the one who entered death on our behalf. And so not only do we need to revisit his cross, we need to revisit uh, where he was buried. The hymn, Glorious Day, says, Buried, he carried my sin far away. When he went there, he took some stuff with him that ought to cause us to rejoice today. The lamb who was buried. All right, let's spend a few minutes and minutes in the time we have left talking about two areas of this that cause us to be closer to him. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' fulfilling burial. So like his cross, his burial was a fulfillment of Scripture. And John connects that here in verse 31 through verse 34. Number one, jot this down, it was a protected fulfillment. It's amazing how God protected what he had promised to Jesus long after Jesus expired, after he gave up the ghost. Still, God is carefully guarding his word being fulfilled. Best that I have read, there's only been one archaeological dig that's revealed a full um, skeletal remain of someone who was crucified. Um, And as is shown in that specimen and other things that have been read, this is very typical that they would break the legs of the people who were crucified. And the idea was this, not to be gross today, but just to help you appreciate what Jesus' body went through uh, or could have gone through without God's provision. They would break the legs because they would often use their legs to push up, to give their, their lungs room to breathe. And if they broke the legs, now the whole body and they would literally suffocate in just a few hours versus if their legs were not broken, they could hang on the cross for days and still be living. Um, and so we see this being referenced here in these next few verses that the, the, the Jews are trying to rush this up because we're getting close to the Passover. And notice in verse 32, it says, Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, and this is so important, they break not his legs. They break not his legs. And in verse 34, notice it says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. And so we see this this carefully orchestrated moment where God protects the body of Jesus as the Passover lamb. Now there's been a lot of 
supposition about what does it mean that as they pierced his side, out came blood and water. I've read many theories on that. Some would say that this is evidence Jesus died of a broken heart. Um, And because his pericardium had uh, blood and serum in it, that meant his heart literally burst. I think we have to be careful with that, with things that I've read on that. Others see it as a symbolic or sacramental significant stream by which others are healed. I think the main point is this, he actually died um, physically, tangibly. And so we see this evidence given because of the thrust of the spear in the side. Now, what's interesting is not only was Jesus' body protected, but number two, there was a precise fulfillment. And I want you to look at this, if you would. Go back to Exodus again, chapter 12, and look at verse 46. And I don't know if I've ever fully connected this before in my own mind, but this is amazing. Exodus chapter 12, and if you would please, verse number 46. So there's a, there's a, there's a protected fulfillment. Jesus' body is not broken as the other, or his legs are not broken as the other two men on his right and his left, but there's a precise fulfillment. There's a reason why that cannot happen, and I love this. Look here in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46. This is God giving instructions about the Passover, and in one house shall it be eaten. What is he talking about? The lamb, the flesh of the lamb. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. Then notice this phrase. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. That's amazing. Not because of just the bones not being broken, but a clear marker from God that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, protecting the legs of Jesus and therefore protecting the promise and the connection that He is the one we trust in. He is the precise fulfillment of the promise. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. All right, go back to our text, verse 37. Uh, And John says this in verse 36, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. So he recognizes that a bone of him shall not be broken. Verse 37, and again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And so these soldiers, not realizing what they have done, looking upon the one that they have pierced, is a reference to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, which doesn't just revolve around this incident, but also the time to come where the Jewish people will look upon this returning Lord and Savior whom they initially pierce. And so precise fulfillment of all that God had promised. Um, Remember in John 14, we studied a few weeks ago where Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Several years ago, the, the... connection was made in my mind as I was studying that the way, the truth, and the life have connection to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I don't have time to unpack the other two, but Jesus is the way. Um, There's the crucifixion, the death. Jesus is the truth. I'll talk about in just a second, which is the burial. And he is the life, which obviously is connected to his resurrection. But here's the thought. There are many who would say Jesus just swooned. That, that he didn't really die. And there are all kinds of theories that are out there. But the death of Jesus Christ gives us a verified way to be free of death ourselves. He died for us. He was buried for us. And so the death, uh, there we see, is the way. We see the burial is the truth. And so it is verified through this burial that Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus didn't just swoon for you. He died for you, giving you a verified way to die to sin as well as its power and its consequences. And here's just a thought today. We have sin that still grips us. We have things that that immobilize us and weaken us. Why are we still overwhelmed with things that we can die to, that we can be free of because Jesus Christ has been buried? Draw even closer to his fulfilling burial. Man, I respect said this just the other day. He said, in a world obsessed with labels, I'm this and I'm that. He said, these are the most important labels for the believer, Jesus' follower, saved, redeemed, forgiven, delivered, reconciled, rescued, justified, born again, sanctified, child of God, found, empowered, discipled, alive, chosen, victorious, loved, Christian. We are those things because of what Jesus did through the grave. Um, And so may we live in that. May we rejoice in that as we enter this week together. All right, let's land land in these last few verses, beginning in verse 38. And after this, 
I love this little part of the story. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Number two, and lastly, draw even closer to Jesus demanding burial. Jesus demanding burial. Um, I don't know if, if you're regularly getting Amazon Prime boxes to your front porch like we are. Um, in fact, we get, we get nervous if there's a day without them because it just throws off our routine. Our dog gets all excited and we get all excited. Um, but we share one account. Anybody track, you know, where you're paying like a subscription to get free delivery that comes in like six hours after you order it? Um, so we have one Prime account. And so all of us, the boys even through my wife's phone, they'll have access. So we're either putting something in our cart that we want or we're getting ready to buy, and then we'll move on and come back to it. But because we all share the same cart, then when I want to buy something, I save for later everything that they have in the cart. You know where I'm going with this? Someone was talking about this save for later thing. He said, my save for later cart on Amazon is up to $1.2 million, okay? (laughs) Save for later. Uh, And I have to admit, we're at least ticking toward that in our save for later account. Do you know that associating with Jesus, not only his cross, but his burial, is going to cost us deeply? And I love here at the end that, that, that John fleshes out the sacrifices these two men that we're about to read about made to be near Jesus at his burial. It cost John greatly to be at the cross. And it cost Joseph and Nicodemus greatly, in a way we'll talk about in just a moment, to be near this body of Jesus. He isn't resurrected yet. They're associating with him at the low ebb moment. He's dead. And they're willing to be near him and to touch him and to take care of him in this moment to position him for all that God is about to fulfill. And so we see this demands, uh, these demands that the burial of Jesus places upon us. All right, let me give you two of them. Number one, the public demands. For these two men to associate with Jesus in this moment was going to cost them greatly in the public realm. In fact, up till now, as we just read, Joseph of Arimathea had been a secret believer. Fear of the Jews had kept him from confessing Christ openly. And yet here he is now. He boldly steps forward to claim the body of Jesus. He exposes himself to likely excommunication from the Sanhedrin, persecution, and violence. He goes on record, I am with this Jesus. Uh, Verse 39, a second character is introduced, and there came also Nicodemus, all right? This is the same one which came at first to Jesus by night, John chapter 3. We studied that earlier this year, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And so we see Nicodemus also came by night, now associating with Jesus publicly. See, to get the full benefit and intimacy with Jesus that comes through his burial, we must go public no matter how costly or sacrificial that is for us. Are we willing to associate with Jesus and specifically his burial? How many of you in the room have seen uh, Sight and Sound's production of Jesus? Anybody in the room? All right, several of you have. Um, We just showed Esther here. They had it live. They were telecasting it a few months ago. There is, if you can remember the scene, there's a little dialogue. It's what would be called in dramatic setting, an aside. The rest of the characters, some are even on stage, but the light's kind of dim and the stage spotlight is just on two men. These two men we're reading about here, Nicodemus uh, and Joseph of Arimathea. And they're talking and there's this little dialogue. It probably was the most poignant moment for me as I watched it a few years ago, where they're both holding scrolls. And they're looking at what the prophecies are for the Messiah. And then they're looking at Jesus. This is prior to his death. And seeing the connections, the parallels, the fulfillments. And the one little question I remember that still reverberates in my heart as I think about it. Is one of them says to the other. As they're thinking of the prophecies and then looking at this Jesus who claims to be the Messiah. And they say, why can't it be now that the Messiah comes? Why can't it be him? Why can't it be us? And then the lights drop and they move on uh, to the next part of the narrative there. But they ask the question, why not now? Why not us? These two men willing to publicly identify with this Messiah. And it's striking to me they identify with him when he is dead. Um, 
I like to associate with God when he's really moving and working, don't you? Man, God this and God that. Yeah, I believe that was going to happen. But are we willing to associate with God at the low moments when everything's dead in the water and nothing's happening, nothing's breaking loose? In fact, it feels like we're going in a negative direction. These men were willing, and are we willing to be publicly identified with a Savior who was buried for us? All right, and then if you will, verse 39, it goes on to say, Nicodemus brings this mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen cloths with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Secondly and lastly, there are personal demands. So public demands, number two, personal demands. Uh, You'll notice how it's worded there in verse number 40. I'm sorry, verse 39, brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes about in hundred pound. The word there is litros, is the Greek word. The equivalent would be this, somewhere between 65 and 70 pounds of of our pounds, of our system, of these spices, very expensive, would have cost greatly uh, Nicodemus to bring these myrrhs and these aloes to anoint the body of Christ. Can you imagine, just put yourself in that moment, you have codulated blood, you have a limp body, you have all the, the graphic things that have been poured out, literally as God nailed our sins to the cross through the body of Jesus as these men processed the gruesomeness of that and begin to wind the body, not just the, the, the financial cost, but how messy and how, how demeaning and how whatever that would have been, humanly speaking, yet their willingness to lean in and to meet the personal demands at this moment pressed upon them. Uh, verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher, which was never man yet laid. And so we see a reference to the garden tomb, a new tomb. In fact, as I mentioned to you, if, if Bible scholars are right that hold to Golgotha that I showed you a moment ago, literally it's about a three minute walk, um, just meandering around the side of this face of this cliff. And, and here they are as they now lay this body in the tomb. We know from Matthew's account that this was the tomb owned by, owned by whom? Joseph. So you have Nicodemus, he gives much to anoint the body and wind the body. And here's Nicodemus, this tomb likely constructed for himself. He now allows the body of Jesus to be placed uh, within it. It's interesting, Isaiah 53, going back to prophecy for just a moment, said that Jesus would be, would be numbered among transgressors, but then where would he make his grave? With the rich. And so here again, we see carefully prophecy after prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled through the burial of our Savior. Uh, Verse 42, there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And so the Jews, though they were just motivated by, let's brush this under the rug, let's get this over with before the Passover, God gets Jesus in the tomb. Listen to me, and we'll talk about this more maybe at Easter But Jesus had to be in the belly of the earth how many days? Three days and three nights. Um, In the Jewish reckoning, because sometimes what's with Good Friday and Sunday, all you have to do to consider it a day in a Jewish mindset is for part of that day you're in the grave. Uh, And so they had to get him in in time that part of that day Jesus was buried. And so God here carefully through all of these details prepares, fulfills, delivers through everything that we see in the account. Now, just one last word on Nicodemus and Joseph, because we might be tempted to be critical of them. Hey, why didn't they go public with Jesus sooner? Do you think that Pilate would have given these two guys the body if they had already identified publicly as zealous followers of Jesus? Isn't that amazing? God even used their hesitancy to be positioned to redeem that, to use that for his plan and his purpose. And so may we allow God, whether we've identified with him and gone all in with him or not yet, may we do so today, allowing him to use that even for his purpose and plan. The other day, someone was talking about Christmas. You've realized Christmas is on Sunday this year, right? Which creates a lot of interesting dialogue around church and what we do for church, which I find ironic. Somebody said, here's American Christianity. Here's our mindset today. Culture is persecuting us by taking Christ out of Christmas, but we're not having a service on Christmas Day, you know, which we are, by the way, for the record, okay? 
Isn't it amazing how much we try to fit Christ into what's convenient for us? Where's, where's our sacrifice? Where's our public identification? Where's the deep cuts personally that draw us closer to our Savior? One author said this, American Christianity, here's his definition of it, we have no problem embracing Jesus and his cross, but we have a problem with Jesus and our cross. Jesus and our cross. So to be close to Jesus who was buried for us is going to require much of us. Where are we unwilling to not only die, but bury self to be intimately closer to him? Kill self, bury self, and get closer to him. That's a daily decision that we each must make. All right, let's land today in Hebrews 13. Would you go there for a moment? Hebrews chapter 13. Let's bring this to application as the writer of Hebrews so effectively does. Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 13. This morning, uh, Pastor Nathan was running a little late. He had several calves born this morning on the farm. And so he and I were trying to get on the same page. He might be just a little late, which, you know, he still has his job. Last time I checked, I think the excuse checks out. If you want to check on it for me, let me know. That's fine. The calf thing again. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so he, so I'm in my office and he calls me and we just make a little small talk. I said, did the water freeze? That's what I thought maybe happened. No, we had several calves born this morning. And then he just paused and I paused and there was like this, and then he's like, did you call me? I'm like, no, you called me. So we had this like little moment of who needs something or whatever. It was like this awkward, like, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, see ya, see you in a little bit. Okay, or whatever. We ended the conversation. Do you know sometimes with God, listen to me, we're waiting on him to do something or say something or be something before we offer to him gratitude. Can I just tell you this morning, the ball is not in his court because we have his son who, was di- who died and was buried for us. I'm telling you, the next several moves are ours, moves of gratitude. One author said this as it relates to gratitude, gratitude awakens the soul to the sweetness of being tethered to God and humanity. A refusal to be beholden breaks ties, allowing the soul to drift into isolation with a sense of entitlement and rancorous pride. I like that word. Ungrateful people will not be bound by such a debt. They care more about what is still owed them. And here's my loving reminders. We pastors say, let me love on you. God doesn't owe us anything. He didn't owe us even what we talked about this morning. But I'm telling you, he doesn't owe us anything else. Where's the gratitude? All right, look here in Hebrews 13, verse 13. Let us go, therefore, unto him. Who is this? The Jesus talked about back in verse 12. Without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And then here's the connection between the cross and the burial and thanksgiving. Verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to his name. When Joseph and Nicodemus went outside of the city, when they identified with Jesus Christ, when they touched the body of Jesus, they defiled themselves. In fact, these two men didn't get to partake in the Passover that year because of this moment. And may I just say to you, when you see him who's been crucified and who has been buried for you, lesser priorities are set aside to be identified with him, to be close to him. Are we willing to associate with the one who was crucified and buried for us? All right, I end with this picture. Um, This is a picture of a family, the Troell family. Maybe you heard of this story, maybe you didn't. But the Stephen Troell, who is the dad there in the middle, was killed a week ago Monday in Baghdad. Uh, He was surrounded by SUVs. They got out. They put four slugs in his chest in front of his family, killed him. A man who was using different means to reach that area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the family issued a statement as they were coming back stateside, a quote that he often would reference as a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ. He quoted what the Moravian missionaries said. If you remember the story, the two who gave their lives for Christ, 
May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. He's with the Lord today. And what motivated him and sustained him was not little gimmicky kind of versions of Christianity. It was the fact that the lamb was slain for him. The lamb was buried for him. Any sacrifice I have to make is worth it, is worthy of him. May we be moved by that today, not just to gratitude, but to sacrifice. Here's the question, and we'll pray. We allow God to give you healthier relationship, closer relationship with Jesus through his sacrificial death and through his sacrificial burial. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for your word.